good. Welcome back to Primal Aspects. Today, we're going to be talking about metabolic flexibility and the ways that you can improve your metabolic flexibility through simple lifestyle practices. But the thing is, these simple lifestyle practices go so far in long-term health. Mm-hmm. And they may sound super, super basic and they may sound almost um, too easy. But once you understand the science and once you understand how metabolic dysfunction sets in, it'll it'll start to make more sense. So that's what we're going to do. So we're going to be taking a really complex and kind of nerdy scientific subject and we're going to try and boil it down and simplify it for you. Because once you understand why, it, it'll make just so much more sense and it'll make it so much easier. So metabolic flexibility. The reason why this is important is because it's how we prevent metabolic dysfunction. Mm -hmm. So optimally, when your metabolic system is working on point, you can eat carbohydrates, you can eat fats, you can eat proteins, and your body's able to shuttle those nutrients where they need to go. So your carbs are going getting converted into glucose and glycogen. You're using it for energy. Your, your fat is getting converted into excess energy for later. And it's also being used by the brain and by the nervous system. It's helping your cells. Protein is rebuilding tissues. It's helping you put on muscle mass. It's helping you fire neurotransmitters. And everything's fine and dandy. But once this system gets dysfunctional, or once metabolic derangement sets in, that's where issues come from. And the biggest one is diabetes by far, but then close second is cardiovascular disease, and then in third place is Alzheimer's. Mm -hmm. So these three chronic diseases can all be traced back to metabolic dysfunction. And that is the key term for today, metabolic dysfunction, but the next one is insulin resistance. And specifically, there's two kinds, but we're gonna be focusing on insulin resistance in the muscle cell. Mm-hmm. and we'll just stop there because we don't want to confuse you guys. But insulin resistance is the precursor for metabolic dysfunction. Metabolic dysfunction is like the gateway to chronic disease. So most populations in industrialized countries, are their, their rates of chronic diseases are skyrocketing. Mm-hmm. Even in China and India, whereas before it wasn't an issue, Now in China, one in 10 people have diabetes and in the US it's even higher. So the cost of diabetes in the US, this is from the American Diabetes Association, is $404 billion every year on diabetes, which is insane. We could solve so many problems with that money. Exactly, yeah. And there's so many drugs and pharmaceuticals and like prescriptions that try and combat this. But the thing is, metabolic dysfunction is created from lifestyle. Mm-hmm. So you cannot take a drug to fix your lifestyle. And that's what we're going to go in today. So just know that cardiovascular disease, diabetes, and Alzheimer's all stem from this issue. So it's, it's a very important topic. And I can guarantee most, if not all listeners, have direct family members who are suffering. And I think for me personally, this is probably one of the most important episodes just because of what it has done to my family and what is it, what it's currently doing to the Native American population. It's just wreaking havoc and, and so many kids and teenagers are unaware and they're getting set up for failure because this issue, once it sets in, it can take up to a decade for diabetes to show up. 
you know, mm. so you could be going to your doctor, you can be checking your blood sugar, you could think you're fine and dandy. Even even lean athletic people can develop this. Mm -hmm. And so it's it's a key topic and I hope that you guys can take this information, apply it to yourself and apply it to your loved ones because that's our goal here is is to help all of you understand things better and and just to learn. So, let's dive in. First thing, let's just come back to eating. So let's say we're eating any form of carbohydrate, whether it's rice, a banana, high fructose corn syrup, any form of carbohydrate once consumed gets broken down into glucose. So glucose is the usable form of energy for the body and the cells. Whatever glucose doesn't get used immediately gets stored as glycogen in either the liver or in your muscles. And so... And this is a good thing. So the liver can store roughly one to 200 grams of glycogen and the muscles can store about four to 600. So that depends on the person, uh, how big they are, if they're male or female. So that's like your body's backup storage for energy. And when needed, especially during rest or when you're sleeping at night, this is what your brain utilizes. So your liver breaks down that glycogen into glucose and so it could feed your your brain and it, mm. that's why you don't like get hungry when you're sleeping or at least you shouldn't yeah. you know because you're burning that glycogen or you shouldn't wake up hungry too that's a big thing exactly exactly you shouldn't be waking up hungry and so this is a beautiful mechanism that we've developed through our evolution to help us get through situations and what happens is if your glycogen stores are topped off so let's say you ate a huge bowl of oatmeal for breakfast and you sat at work all day and then you go out to Subway and you get a foot long sandwich with all these carbs and then you have a snack later and then you go back to work and you get off work and then you go home and have a bunch of more rice and you have pasta and all these carbs. You've exceeded your body's glycogen storage. So all that extra glucose, it gets converted into fat. Mm -hmm. through a process known as de novo lipogenesis, DNL. And DNL is another survival mechanism for storing energy for later use. And it's, a, it's an awesome system. That's, it's what has allowed humans to get to where we are today. Without de novo lipogenesis, humans would not exist. Mm -hmm. It allowed us to survive the ice age. And it's a, it's a beautiful mechanism when, when working properly. And so after years of exceeding your glycogen storage, you know, that's where the fat, fat gain happens. But in order for glucose to get utilized in the cell, insulin comes into play. So we've all heard the term insulin. And what insulin does is it shuttles glucose into the cell to get burned. So whenever you consume carbohydrate, your pancreas reduces insulin and so that the insulin, or excuse me, so that the glycogen can get into the cell. Mm -hmm. And... After years of having topped off glycogen and consuming excess carbohydrate, that's just where insulin resistance occurs. So what happens is your cells are so full of glucose, no more glucose can go into that cell. And so excess glucose remains in your blood. So now you have extra sugar in your blood. And what happens is your body doesn't know that the glucose is floating around because it can't get into the cell, so it produces more insulin. So a condition known as hyperinsulinemia occurs where you're now you're just producing excess insulin and you have excess glucose floating around. This is insulin resistance. 
so your body doesn't know what's going on. It just keeps making more and more and more insulin. And this is what is occurring in teenagers these days. Mm -hmm. So before diabetes used to set in later in life, but now like teenagers and elementary school kids are having this condition develop. And so years of hyperinsulinemia and uh, hyperglycemia that's what leads to diabetes. Now, I want to distinguish. We're talking about type two diabetes. Yes, yes, type yeah. two diabetes. Yeah, and type one is more of a genetic condition, and there, there are things you can do about it, but it's that, not as easy. Exactly, and that's where your body, your pancreas, doesn't make insulin. Yeah. So, like, you can't get energy into the cell, and that's a horrible condition. But that isn't caused through lifestyle. Yeah. So the way that you develop type two diabetes is from excess consumption of carbohydrate, mm-hmm. literally. So your glycogen stores are topped off. Your liver and your muscles always have full levels of glycogen. And so every single extra carbohydrate that you consume now gets converted into fat. Mm-hmm. And we, I, I want to point out too, like carbohydrates, we, we've heard there's a saying, it's like carbohydrates didn't start the fire of metabolic dysfunction, but they, they feed the flames mm-hmm. for sure. Um, and we'll get into that a little bit later down yeah. the podcast. And so this is coming from the Journal of Insulin Resistance. So hyperinsulinemia or insulin resistance may play the largest casual role in the pathology and progression of modern chronic diseases. Elevated fasting blood glucose and hemoglobin A1C are late indicators of metabolic dysfunction. So what that means is whenever you go into a doctor and they're testing your A1C and they're testing your fasting blood glucose, those are late indicators of metabolic dysfunction. Mm. And trying to treat diabetes by lowering A1C and fasting blood glucose or treating high blood sugar, that's treating the symptom. Mm-hmm. The real root cause of that is hyperinsulinemia and insulin resistance. And so, the like we said before, it means that you could live most of your teenage years, your 20s, your 30s, thinking that you're fine, eating a lot of carbohydrates, not being active, uh, you might put on a couple pounds here and there, not thinking it's a big deal. And it, at that time, it's not a big deal. But all of a sudden, when you're 35, 40, 45, you have full-blown full, on, full blown insulin resistance and diabetes sets in. Mm-hmm. And so if you're trying to f- bring it down by taking prescriptions or by lowering your blood glucose, that's just treating the symptom. And this is why it's so important. And another crazy connection with uh, chronic disease is with cancer. So the reason why cancer is intimately related to insulin resistance is because guess what cancer cells feed off of? Glucose. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So now you have insulin resistance, meaning that glucose isn't getting into your cells. So it's just floating around in your blood. That's what cancer feeds off of. So um, cancer cells have mitochondria that are reduced in number. And so they're not they're, they're not operating at their full potential, so they just generate ATP purely off of glucose. And so if you're, and it's known as aerobic fermentation, uh, it's fermentation in the presence of no oxygen, and this is a huge contributor to all of these issues into cancer. So you just have extra sugar, and it just creates a horrible situation. And the reason why it's linked to Alzheimer's is because our brains... They're like there's blood flowing through our brains at all time, mm-hmm. you know, like just like any organ in the body. So 
now you have sugar floating through your brain mm-hmm. and that, not being utilized probably not being utilized so that's just think about what that does long term well and we we have a note here too that i want to point out in regard to like metabolic flexibility when your mitochondria which are present in every cell um, when they're working properly they're utilizing both fatty acids ketones and glucose so they that's where they're metabolically flexible this is your cell operating optimally and now it can it can go back and forth between how it's functioning mm-hmm. whereas someone who has metabolic dysfunction insulin resistance they probably haven't had ketones in their cells for years for years maybe since they were a little kid and that's why their triglycerides are so high yeah so their body doesn't know how to utilize fatty acids anymore it's lost the ability to burn it so we have two energy sources that our bodies can run off of Mm -hmm. fat and glucose Mm -hmm. and when you're insulin resistant you're totally dependent on glucose. Mm-hmm. You have no way to burn fat, and so it accumulates. And the first place that it accumulates is in the liver. Mm-hmm. So this is why you can have someone that looks lean. Maybe they um, don't have excess body fat, but they're unhealthy inside. It's mm-hmm. like their body, their organs are just getting fat. Yeah, and that's and that's when you see like visceral fat is what that is. That's when that goes up. And this was something my dad suffered from. He He looked lean but had atherosclerosis, high levels of body fat, or not body, high levels of visceral fat. And it's it's just a nasty thing because sometimes those people create this justification of like, well, I'm lean, like I'm fine. And it's not always the case. Exactly. And so there are six main um, causes of insulin resistance. And from our previous podcast, if you guys have been listening, we brought up a lot of like ancestral uh, and evolutionary you know, human activities and lifestyles. And all of these six things completely go against them. So let me read them off to you. So first one is excessively high refined carbohydrate diets. Mm-hmm. You know, so this is the average American diet, eating tons of grains, tons of sugar, tons of fruit, tons of just any form of carbohydrate. That's that's number one. Number two is biologically inappropriate amounts of PUFAs, polyunsaturated fatty acids. And so if you guys haven't listened to it already, I recommend checking out our episode on fat. Mm-hmm. And so now you have a high carbohydrate diet and you have a high polyunsaturated fatty diet coming from omega-6s. Mm-hmm. Specifically now, linoleic acid. Exactly. And we're yeah. going to dive into that here in a second. Um, insufficient dietary omega-3s. And remember, guys, the only complete sources of omega-3s come from animals. So if you're eating all your flax seeds and all your chia seeds, you're going to have insufficient dietary omega-3s. Uh, disrupted circadian rhythm. So this means like your sleep and wake cycles are off. You're probably drinking a ton of caffeine. You're staying up late. That's a huge contributor because your body isn't resting and recovering. Next is reduced physical activity. So sedentary lifestyle if you're sitting in traffic for an hour a day going to the office if you're not moving and then increased feeding opportunities so this is a huge one uh, so decreased time between meals so what uh, that doesn't allow for a return to baseline in your hormones especially insulin mm. so that means that your body is constantly just producing and shooting out insulin so if you wake up and have breakfast and then you have like a snack like you munch on a little you know, bar or an apple or something. And then, then you have lunch and then you have another snack and then you have dinner. And then before dinner, you're having chips and salsa. Like you're just continually eating throughout the day. You're just continually producing insulin. And what is the main cause of insulin resistance? Hyperinsulinemia. 
So all these six things are part of the modern lifestyle now. You know, humans would have never eaten high carb diets, maybe at times, mm-hmm. but not all the time. They would have never eaten nut or seed oils. They probably never don't even know what a PUFA is. Mm-hmm. Um, well, except for omega threes, I guess. Uh, they had a high omega. But the percentage th- was way different. It's way different. Yeah. yeah. Uh, they they didn't have disrupted circadian rhythm because they were going to bed when it got dark. They didn't have blue lights. They were waking up when the sun came up. They were moving all day. They didn't work out or go to the gym. They just lived the life outside. And they probably didn't eat six meals a day. Mm-hmm. You know, So those are the main causes of insulin resistance. And it, check this out. Like We're spending $400 billion a year trying to combat these issues by surgery and prescriptions and all these ineffective practices. And so what we're trying to do is educate you guys on this so you can prevent it. And if you do have- the, Or reverse it. Or rever- totally reverse it, yeah. Yeah. But prevention is the key. But you could totally reverse this. And I've seen it happen many times, and it's totally possible. So the main, I want you guys to remember that the main reason gluco- glucose can't get into the cell is because the cell is already full of glucose. Mm-hmm. You just have too much of it floating around. And so it's not saying to go necessarily on a ketogenic diet, but like reducing the amount of carbs, reducing the amount of time, or excuse me, increasing the amount of time between meals and trying to throw in some fasted workouts or more activity Mm -hmm. throughout the day. And so the two main terms, insulin gets it into the cell, glucose is our form of energy. And so now we're gonna jump into uh, fructose and linoleic acid. Mm. So these are important to realize as well because I don't think a lot of people truly understand fructose and how it's used and why it's such a, a... either a gift or a plague in a sense. Mm. And so you want to dive into that? Yeah, yeah. So fructose, it, there's fructose that's naturally occurring, obviously in fruit and honey, and then there's high fructose corn syrup. And the difference between what you're seeing in fruit and honey and high fructose corn syrup is the ratio of fructose to glucose. So those ratios are what are going to end up causing so many of the issues. So the reason this is a very important topic is because fructose is metabolized very differently than other sugars and starches. Glucose goes to the bloodstream and then into the cells of the body, including like your brain, your heart, your muscles. So when it's working properly, fructose on the other hand goes directly to the liver because the liver is the only organ or muscle in the body to have a glute five transporters, which, um, lost the page on here. Well, let's yeah. let's chop this in. Okay, we'll okay. chop this one up. Yeah, it's not on here. It's like, which what? Yeah. So I do. You want me to jump into it? I think I just kind of threw that in there. Oh, I, I didn't finish it. Oh, you didn't finish it. Yeah. <laughs> no. Yeah. Here, take this part over. We'll take it from the top. Yeah, Joey. So, so we're gonna cut here, and then we're gonna go into fructose we're going into fructose do you want me to jump into it yeah just go into fructose yeah okay we'll, we'll edit this part okay <laughs> this will be a good practice one for editing yeah <laughs> this was for you joey is that uh 19 minutes yeah so it probably started at like 17:50. but either way so yeah. all right we're going so the potential dangers of fructose come from the way that it is metabolized so fructose is a very unique sugar and i believe fructose is a gift to, to animals and humans from nature 
Mm-hmm. The thing is, it's a gift that turned into a weapon because we have excess amounts of it. So fructose is a sugar. And the thing about it is it doesn't get metabolized by muscles or other organs. The only organ in the body that can utilize it is the liver. Mm. And this is great if you get it in small amounts or if you're trying to put on fat. So let me explain why. The reason why fructose gets converted directly into fat is because it goes straight to the liver and whatever isn't used by the liver at that moment gets converted into fat for later, or yeah, gets converted into fat for later use. And this is a great survival mechanism because in the summertime or in the fall, all these fruit come out, you eat a bunch of it, and then the body's like, oh, we're gonna take all these fructose molecules and just save it for later, Mm -hmm. store it for later. Or there's nothing better, like if you're like running a race or if you're outside Mm -hmm. and you have a banana or some honey or some coconut water, it like goes right in and it replenishes that glycogen. Mm-hmm. So it's a perfect fuel source to get glycogen back to where it needs to be or if you're trying to get fat. But the problem is when you consume it all the time, it just literally gets straight stored as fat and it starts to lead to fatty liver. And so what's what's the difference between high fructose corn syrup and just regular fructose? So honestly... There isn't much going on molecularly, mm-hmm. um, but it's just the amount. So mm-hmm. su- sucrose or table sugar is 50% um, fructose. Mm-hmm. High fructose corn syrup is about 55% fructose. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's only a slight percent higher. Mm-hmm. But the thing is like high fructose corn syrup is extracted pure form. It's like a pure form. So if you add it to drinks, now you have a ton more fructose than you would have gotten if you just ate an apple. Mm-hmm. So an apple, I think, has anywhere from like 11 to 13 grams of fructose, mm-hmm. whereas you know a, a tall Mountain Dew is like 80 grams of, yeah. of pure fructose. And it's essentially like, it's funny because it's sugar, but essentially liquid fat. It is but liquid. That's, it's like, it's what's turning into fat. Yeah. Whereas if you had MCT, which is liquid fat, it's not going to turn into It's going to get energy. It's going to turn into ketones. Exactly. Yeah. And... That's that's what the big picture here, guys, is is like unless you're utilizing it right away, so let's say you're running a freaking marathon mm-hmm. or you just finished the workout or you're active all day and like you're thinking and you're moving and you're doing all this stuff, it's like you're gonna use that sugar. You're gonna use that fructose. But if you're just hanging out on a regular day and you have a bunch of extra fructose, it will get converted to fat. Mm. So if you haven't earned that fructose, it's going to get stored as fat, mm-hmm. which, you know, if you're trying to get fat for the wintertime, for trying to gain some weight, that's cool. But like if for the average person, that's a horrible thing. Mm-hmm. And it's only when it's consumed in excess. And that's what I'm saying. So like, again, if you're, if we were out in nature and like we're hunting elk and we come across some blueberries or whatever, it's like, yeah, dude, eat them. Like you earned, like you need that fuel. Mm-hmm. But if you're just living a typical American life, yeah. You're not going to need all that fructose, especially mm-hmm. if you're consuming that fructose with other sources of carbohydrate. Yeah. So that's where the danger is. So if you have a high carb meal and you're drinking a soda, it's you're drinking fat. Well, and, and oftentimes it's most the standard American diet is not just the high sugar. Exactly. It's, it's high carb. It's high. Well, and it's high fat. Oh, you it, know, it, totally. Yeah. And it's you're you're combining energy sources. Two energy sources. 
And then you have an excess of both. Your mm-hmm. body doesn't know what to do with them. And so it's like, just store it, store it, store it, store it. Oh, let me damage some stuff along the way. Exactly. And that's, you know, getting into fructose and linoleic acid. These are not just fructose, but high sugar in the presence of something like linoleic acid is really dangerous. So linoleic acid is an omega-6. It's really, really prevalent. It's what it's essentially the highest component of soy, corn, canola, all these oils we got into our fat podcast. But the reason that it's an important topic for insulin resistance, metabolic dysfunction, is because of the oxidative damage that it causes. So these are rancid oils. And let's say you eat only saturated fat, kind of solitary with some, like you have steak and eggs or something for breakfast, like pretty reasonable meal. But then you have carbohydrates later. That's that's fine. You're going to have two separate energy sources that are clean, some sweet potatoes, steak and eggs. But instead, you replace that fat from the steak and eggs with linoleic acid, oxidized oils. These oils are now going to cause damage within the cell walls and within the arteries and your just your veins in general. And that's what's creating these huge problems. This is the thing starting the fire. Mm-hmm. And then the carbohydrates contribute to that fire. Exactly. And so in 1910, I have some some little stats here I want to show. So 1907 is when the first processed oil was made. It's cottonseed oil. 1910, when you look at rates of diabetes, heart disease, cancer, and other chronic diseases, they're nearly non-existent because most people were still consuming high animal fats and high saturated fat diets. And as a side note, my mom I talked to my mom about this earlier, and she remembers when she was a little girl in the 50s, coconut oil hurt her mom would cook with coconut oil all the time. And then like big media and marketing comes out how saturated fat is bad in the fifties when Ansel Keys did his thing. We talked about in the fat podcast and like her mom stopped cooking with coconut oil. Oh, yeah. yeah. So it was like, Oh, this is bad. We can't cook with it. Because, we need to get some co- or uh, yeah, like soy Crisco. Or, Crisco. Or, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's because, you know, like oh the government told me to mm. you know like, in the back in the fifties like everyone trusted they yeah. listened to the government like, yeah doctors yeah. were they were they yeah. were bought yeah bought and sold but in two thousand twenty one so you have nearly zero percent consumption in nineteen ten with nearly no cases of these diseases mm-hmm. now two thousand twenty one the average American consumes fifteen to twenty percent of these seed oils in addition to excess carbohydrates and processed sugar. And so now the rates of the same diseases are astronomical in comparison. Mm -hmm. So over 34 million people in 2018 had diabetes in the U.S. alone. And worldwide, 1.3 or 1.13 billion people had hypertension. And remember, that's diabetes is the end product of insulin resistance. Yeah. So how many more millions do you think have insulin resistance? Yeah, it's probably a massive number. Exactly. And in those people... So I didn't put the stat in, but looking at when I was checking out this data, so out of those 34 million, 7 million of them didn't know they had diabetes. And then they found out when they did this study. Wow. So 7 million people were like just chilling, thinking they were fine, but they had diabetes. Yeah. And so then worldwide, yeah, 1.13 billion have hypertension. And then heart disease is still the number one cause of death. Cancer rates, 5.5% of the U.S. population currently have cancer and it's the second leading cause of death yeah and alzheimer's is skyrocketing which is considered type 3 diabetes because the high glucose floating around in your brain yep and i mentioned it 
on the fat podcast as well when i was at the the senior center me and another intern in the integrative healthcare program were were at, we were working with the seniors and we analyzed their diet so we looked at their menu every day that they got and we we ran the nutrition facts and they were getting roughly 60 to 80 grams of sugar every day yeah that's you know so just sugar and that not in addition to not, yeah. yeah not on top of the the waffles and the french mm-hmm. toast and all that other stuff just sugar alone mm-hmm. all all of the food there was cooked with vegetable oil oh my god yeah. and this is when i really started to realize i'm like this is unethical and me and the other intern brought this up and no one in the higher ups wanted to even address this issue yeah so you have all of these seniors who are on multiple prescriptions mm-hmm. all of them are taking statins all of them are taking metformin all of them are taking god knows what else while they're feeding them all of these foods and this is where the dilemma comes up because we could save billions of dollars if we invested in healthy food for yeah. our kids, for our seniors, for everybody. If that money went towards re-education. Exactly. Changing, like actually giving shit about changing the food pyramid. Exactly. And it, it is, it, it's completely flawed in the way of, in the, the way of thinking. And it's... During during the research for this episode, I came across a website called Breakthrough.com, and it's powered mm. by powered by Pfizer. So these <laughs> the good old guys at Pfizer. And this episode or this uh, article was titled "Sweet Science: How Insights in the Fructose Metabolism Are Helping to Fight Liver Disease." And this, I, I started reading this, and it started off going through everything me and Nate are saying. I'm like, oh, sweet. They're talking about how bad fructose is. They're talking about how it can't get metabolized in the liver. I'm like, wow, this is great that Pfizer is talking about this. But let me read some of the stuff I found. It says, to help address these growing epidemics, Pfizer scientists are working to develop a novel medicine that blocks fructose metabolism to help prevent the buildup of fat in the liver. Pfizer's KHK inhibitor, currently in phase two studies, is the first and to the best of our knowledge, only clinical candidate in this mechanism. Quote, we're pioneering our way into this field, says McGee. Whenever you get into an exploratory area, it's challenging, but it's worth it. That's how science moves forward. So Pfizer is looking to profit off of this epidemic by creating a, a pill that slows down fructose metabolism or like what they're saying blocks it entirely exactly so what this enables them to do is continue to feed seniors horrible cheap food now they can prescribe them a medication for it yeah instead of addressing the issue they're creating another one another one and who knows what that's going to do and me and Nate haven't talked about it but the the dangers of statins are extreme and what they can do to your health is is crazy and so the guys at Pfizer are trying to make money off of this issue, and we're trying to help you guys prevent and overcome it naturally. And that, again, primal aspects, it does come down to love. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. And we want you guys to be healthy, and we want to be healthy, and understand that what we're telling you is it's, it's the science and it's natural. And if you try and deviate from that, you just create more issues. Well, it, it's understanding having so matt kind of said at the beginning if you want to have a a how to do something you need to understand the why Mm -hmm. and doing like why this is important is what is a normal 
human body's baseline of health? What does that look like? It's hard to know. And so, because there's a lot of unhealthy people. And so when you see like, this is just kind of a side tip. If you're doing blood work, functional medicine, things like this, which I, you know, are invaluable tools, you have to keep in mind, what are these averages they're basing it on? They're basing it on standard population, typically of your area. Mm-hmm. So if you live in a very unhealthy area, they're like, oh, this is what the average person's blood work says. It's like, well, do you want to be average or do you want to be optimal and ideal? Yeah. So what does that look like? Mm-hmm. And that's that's kind of what we're on a journey of discovering together and helping educate people on. Because we may not know yet what it ideally looks like. Mm-hmm. Let's, you know, There's a guy that we've probably referenced a few times now on this podcast, Paul Saladino. He he shows his blood work all the time. He's the carnivore doc. He's like eating grass fed organ meats all day and amazing steaks, all this stuff. His LDL's five hundred, and this is just measuring LDL as an overall number, not the subcategories of LDL, which is a whole other thing. But so just being five hundred, your normal doctor would be like, "You're gonna die tomorrow." Yeah. But he's he's doing it in the absence of any oxidative damage from seed oils. It's all. It's all good animal, animal fat. Animal fat. No, he doesn't touch any seed oil. Yeah. The only product that may not be considered animal is a bee product, and that's honey. Uh, honey, exactly. And so, which is kind Te- of... Technically, a, is made by and, animals. Yeah, made I mean, by a, a... bug or whatever. Like, yeah. Bees are like the most amazing, awesome animals ever. Oh, they're so I don't know important. what kind of animal they are or whatever, but... Well, like, insect, yeah, they're their own. They're pollinated, yeah, you know? Yeah. They're, they're amazing. And so, like... But he's not having... He has no plant food mm-hmm. other than arguably maybe honey. But like it's it's amazing to see like, okay, like your cholesterol can be this thing, but based on the average population of people that like Matt alluded to, many of them, millions of them may have prediabetes or insulin resistance, then that's not a good number to look at. Yeah. So I think, you know, part of it is trusting your intuition a little bit, trusting good science like looking at science to give you some inclination of where to start but we uh you know we wanted to break this down for you and so i should we talk about some practical tips uh yeah no actually real quick before we go into that okay i just want to mention uh, a study done in 2015 from the american journal of clinical nutrition Mm. and it's titled effect of short-term carbohydrate overfeeding and long-term weight loss on liver fat in overweight humans. So basically what they did is they took subjects and they fed them an extra 1,000 calories a day from sweet sugary snacks for three weeks. And the reason why I bring this up is because it's today's January 24th and it's like after the holidays and stuff. So think about the average American from like Thanksgiving to New Year's. Mm -hmm. That's, you know, roughly 30 days and the study was three weeks. And they, they may not eat an extra 1,000 calories a day, mm-hmm. but that sugar consumption definitely goes up. Calorie consumption goes up. Vegetable oils. Everyone's eating cookies, and like they're having big dinners, and they're drinking some extra wine and stuff. So in just three weeks of overeating sugars, they saw a 27% increase in liver fat and a 2% increase in body weight. So that's what we're trying to say, guys, is like you can't just be like, oh, I'm, I'm lean and healthy. You're like... If you put on a couple pounds a year, it may not seem like a big deal, but deep down, your liver is just storing that fat, mm-hmm. and that's what's causing the insulin resistance. So don't, if I mean, if you're putting on a couple pounds of fat every year, and like you're thinking, ah, oh, it's not that big a deal, 
that only may be body weight that you're gaining, but it's not showing the fat that you're putting on. And it's amazing that in just three weeks of overeating, a 27% increase in liver fat. Yeah. And that's huge, guys. And so that that is why the, the lifestyle practices that Nate is going to go over are, they can be life-saving. Yeah, and, and to kind of add on to that, there's another term you can look into. It's called metabolic obesity. It's where you can look lean, mm-hmm. but be metabolically obese. Exactly. And that that's just as dangerous. It so, totally is. Um, well, like, the, you know, there's a, what's the trainer? Charles Poliquin? Mm-hmm. Dude was jacked, super incredible shape externally, but he in his fifties died of a heart attack. Yeah, you know, so who knows what was going on internally to make him end up that way? Exactly, and it's sad. Like he gave a lot of knowledge to the world, but oh yeah, it could happen to the best of us. Mm-hmm. So yeah, some of these rules, these are rules of exercise and movement, and not just exercise and movements. I have some other kind of lifestyle stuff in here as well, uh, but how it can affect your metabolic efficiency. So in order to truly optimize metabolic flexibility, we need to aid our bodies in generating ketones and properly utilizing blood sugar and avoid also avoid frequent blood sugar spikes and fluctuations. So, you know, Matt said earlier, like reducing the time or increasing the time between meals. Um, But yeah, so one thing that I kind of follow this rule, not religiously, but I'm pretty good about it, is a minimum of 12 hours between dinner and breakfast. Exactly. So your last meal and then your next meal for that day, try to do at least 12 hours. And that's like 80-20 rule. Again, live life, enjoy yourself. But on a day-to-day basis, just like everyday life, try to follow that. It's not too hard. It's really not hard, yeah. And you can push that number. Like I recommend for for women, because our hormones are different between men and women, for women I kind of say... 12 to 16 hours is ideal. And then men's more like 16 to 20 hours mm-hmm. if you want to push it to more yeah. of like a true intermittent fast. Exactly, exactly. So kind of kind of operating within those ranges. Um, and then like first thing in the morning, when you get up, obviously have a little bit of water, but take 10 to 30 minutes to just move. It could be some jumping jacks, jump rope, a little bit of a run, walk your dog, rebounder, which is a little trampoline thing, hop on some kind of bike, yoga or like a movement flow anything like that to get your blood moving invert yourself if you can get inverted put your legs up put your you know go upside down all that's really good it's going to kick you into like a little bit of a fat burning mode it's going to encourage your body to use the glycogen that's on board first thing in the morning exactly so that's huge snacking less so snacking less is key if again i think matt mentioned this like if you're out hiking if you're like on the trail like camping yeah you're probably like snacks are a good thing exactly because you're constantly moving moving. exactly but if you're reaching for a snack and you're sitting at a computer and it's not like cognitively demanding you know you're not like writing an essay or something you probably don't need it you're you're probably just dehydrated yeah seriously yeah drink some water maybe it's there's this thing I always like to bring up. It's from a Chinese philosophy. It's called the voice of 10,000 generations or the ghost of 10,000 generations. It's the hunger of your cells, like feeling like they have to survive essentially is what it's saying. Like your our bodies are always thinking that we need to survive. And so we're like constantly reaching for this next snack to like bulk up or get bigger because we think winter is always coming or we think we're going to get eaten by a mountain lion, but we're not. So there's that. Um, and then moderate your carbohydrate and maybe even 
save them for the end of the day. So that's called carb backloading and then enjoy healthy fats and proteins like during the daytime, kind of push your carbs to later. So that can help. Um, yeah. And then like take movement snacks throughout the day. So this is Pavel calls it greasing the groove and that's Pavel Satsulin. He's a kettlebell guy, but just like pick a movement or anything and do like 10 squats, do some pushups, you know, have a pull-up bar in your living room, do some pull-ups, like just little things throughout the day, keeps your body moving, keeps your brain fresh. And that's all just amazing, you know, and it also helps you work on technique. If you're in, interested into movement, like it's an opportunity to, look at these things as not just like I have to do this in one hour, but you can work on them and think about them throughout the day. And it adds to that continuum of movement we've talked about in our movement evolution podcast. Um, and finally, these are more of like a bonus, but, uh, like heat and cold thermogenesis. So cold showers or getting in the cold is one of the best things you could do for your body fat and your and insulin resistance and like the health of your cells. So you have two types of fat. You have white adipose tissue and you have brown adipose tissue. So white adipose tissue is like kind of the fat you can see on somebody or on yourself. It's, it's the storage site of energy. Whereas brown adipose tissue is more of an energy, not disposal system, but it helps regulate your metabolism. And so you can't really see brown adipose tissue on anybody, but it's really, really important. And so being in the cold will actually strip white adipose down and fortify brown adipose. So this comes from the Journal of Physiology. Some like super nerdy, fascinating stuff, but <laughs> the uh, like fat in general is kind of being now touted as another endocrine organ. So we have endocrine glands that secrete hormones and have hormonal functions and so before we used to think of fat as just a place that, you know, it's just storage for energy. But now it, we're really realizing it's more of its own endocrine gland, just like your skin is its own organ. Like fat is kind of an organ too. So that's, that's important to note. And then the other thing about the cold is it supports your immune system, strengthens the vagus nerve, which runs from the brain to the heart to the gut, and it can help with appetite and satiety. So if you're in the cold, you're actually going to feel more satiated over time if you have a cold practice. Um, and then blood flow and nitric oxide production to your brain. So that alertness, that feeling of wakefulness, all that's going to happen. Nitric oxide's good for many, many things. And the fellows know this. But <laughs> <laughs> and then heat. So sauna has similar benefits to cold for fat loss, but not quite the same for developing brown adipose tissue. Um, but it helps uh, stimulate the parasympathetic, so like you de-stress, and stress is also a major factor in all these things. But that parasympathetic system, rest and digest, calms you down, can help with physical injuries, regeneration at large. It encourages the body's natural detox through sweat, fortifies the blood, and there's several studies that show like three to four days of sauna reduce all-cause mortality. So that's pretty incredible. Um, and it has benefits for heart disease, high blood pressure, arthritis. So that's just like a, you know, a handful of practical takeaways you can use, but just explore the topic. You'll find some, and really it's all those things are just pieces of a healthy lifestyle. And they're so easy to apply. So minimum of 12 hours, 
that's going to allow your body to start to burn through that glycogen. 30 minutes, 10 to 20, 30 minutes moving in the morning, it's going to stimulate muscle contraction. And that's how we use up glycogen the most efficiently mm. is it's stored in our muscles, right? So if you can contract your muscles, even like there's studies showing that like isometric contractions can help mm. burn up glucose. So any type of movement, jumping, all that stuff, snacking less. And I think the biggest one is really um, starting to to look at carbohydrates differently. Yeah. You know, and so we're going to kind of talk about that, how once you try lowering your carbohydrates, and we're not talking full on keto, we're not talking about like going hardcore, not eating anything, we're not talking about the carnivore diet, but just slowly start watching your carbohydrates and you start to realize that you don't need them, especially once you start to add in protein and fat. Mm -hmm. Like if you have half an avocado with a couple eggs and a little bit of meat for breakfast, you're, you'll are you be amazed by how well that satiates you. Well, so, so for you, Matt, I'm curious to know this. When you think about like your favorite snack or like mm -hmm. something that you're like, oh man, like that's my shit. Like, is it a carbohydrate or is it fat? It's fat. Well, so what is it for you? Dark chocolate. Dark chocolate? Yeah, or macadamia nuts or peanut butter. Like, okay, yeah, okay. Yeah. Okay, so I think about it for me and I think typically it's carbohydrates. Okay. You know, I think that's like some people you can kind of look at Find that thing that you like and how do you make a healthy version of yeah, it? Yeah. So seriously. for me it's like like sweet potato chips. Mm. But I'm like get some cooked in like coconut oil or something. I'm like, oh yes. I can like crush them or like dried mangoes. I love dried mangoes. But I love fatty stuff too. And so like looking in your own life, like what is it that like you're always reaching for? And how do you optimize that thing? So like make it the best. Make it the best. Like Matt gave me some dark chocolate just now. And it's like incredible dark chocolate, you know, <laughs> it's organic, 90% cacao, like organic cane sugar. Like that's not a bad thing. Mm -hmm. And like, he's also not eating like bars and bars and bars of it. <laughs> yeah. And so simple practices like that can greatly reduce the amount of insulin going through your system. Yeah. Start to burn down through that glycogen. And the reason why this is important is because by doing that, your body is going to become efficient at utilizing fatty acids for energy. Mm. And that is the whole goal of metabolic flexibility. That's what we're talking about. That's what these lifestyle practices are going to help you do is it's going to spur on metabolic flexibility. And that's when your body can take triglycerides and fatty acids, the fats in our body, and put it into good use. Mm. Because if it's not, it's going to store up in the liver, it's going to store up in our bodies, it's going to start to um, build up. And like Nate said, the fat is fat is an endocrine organ and what it can do is it stimulates hunger mm -hmm. so the higher your body fat the like literally the hungrier you're gonna be yeah and that's why fasting is so hard and i me and nate like to say use hunger as a guide like if you can't intermittent fast mm -hmm. without going hungry that means you're probably insulin resistant because come like come on guys 16 hours without food isn't that hard no like if you can't do that that's a sign that you should do that. <laughs> like, I, dude, I, I always, I'll remember this forever. We had a Holocaust survivor come to our school. Um, it was in middle school. And, you know, obviously incredible story. But one thing that he talked about was his relationship to food, which I never, you know, you didn't expect to hear it come up. But he, he would go days without eating on purpose in, in, in his 80s. He like just wouldn't eat. And then like for Thanksgiving dinner, he like would leave the turkey out on the counter for like four days and just like pick off of it. 
and just eat it. Because he just, he's like, food. he looked at food as so sacred. Mm-hmm. And he lived, you know, as a young man, like 10 years old, and would go months without eating anything other than like moldy bread, yeah. you know? And these guys are like, they're survivors. They survived like one of the craziest things to happen in humanity. And it's really, really treating food with respect yeah. because we have an overabundance of it. So much. Yeah. And we don't have any connection to it. We don't farm anymore. A lot of us don't hunt. Yeah. You know, it's so easy to just go buy food and, and mindlessly consume it. It's, we, I mean, I still do it from time to time. Yeah. It's so no, easy. We, we all do. Yeah. Straight up. And that's why we talk about the 80 20 rule. And once you start to apply these things, it becomes easier and easier. Mm-hmm. So I'm not saying you have to intermittent fast every day. I don't, but like test it out and, yeah. and, See it's how, just a tool. It's just a tool, and it's it's funny because I've let, read a lot of like studies and scientific papers on intermittent fasting, and a lot of them are like, oh, studies show intermittent fat, fasting doesn't cause weight loss mm. or it doesn't do this, and it's like you guys are looking at the wrong thing. Like yeah. everyone's so obsessed about weight loss and fat loss, but it's like we're talking about metabolic flexibility. Just- Gut health. Gut health, yeah. yeah. So we're not talking about like, oh, drop twenty pounds or like, oh, lose burn fat. It's like, yo, we're gonna we're talking about fixing your body's metabolic system and how it regulates itself. Which ultimately in the long term, much longer than an eight week study exactly. That's is, what I'm gonna, saying. is gonna give you the results you want. Exactly. So if you spend a year doing these things that me and Nate talked about, mm-hmm you're setting yourself up for success. Or if you start to intuitively apply them to your kids' life, you know, mm-hmm. I'm not saying make your kid intermittent fast, but like yeah. don't let them snack on crazy foods and like go outside and play with them and like get them, yeah. get them moving, get them active, uh, moderate their carbs so don't let them eat fruity pebbles and orange juice for breakfast. You know, yeah. all these little things go so far in setting up your health. Yeah. When it's, it's hard, I think, too, for people to see it in kids because they are little machines that are growing or generating and they're happy and they're having fun and like they you know they look healthy but it's like you could be setting that kid up for failure oh so they're so resilient yeah it's hard to see it right up front exactly but remember insulin resistance and hyperinsulinemia can be around for decades Mm -hmm. decades before diabetes shows up well and you kind of said it earlier man we have we have 10 year olds with diabetes oh yeah it's terrifying that's not good yeah and if I'm like kids, they can't make choices on what they eat. Mm-hmm. So ultimately, that falls on the responsibility of the people and their like their guardians. Exactly, you know? and yeah. that's why we want to educate you. And so, even if you guys don't want to make changes, it's like think about your loved ones. Yeah. Think about your kids. Think about you know like your parents. You know, and it's it's very valuable information. And we're not advocating going on super low carb diets, but start to be aware of how glucose and energy is used in the body. Mm. And that energy excess is a cause of disease. And more people die of overconsumption of food than from starvation, Mm. which is crazy. And that's what blows my mind is like, there's regions of the world where hunger and uh, famine, you know, people just don't have enough to eat. And people are dying of not getting enough food. Whereas in America, we're dying of too much food. Yeah, it's just mind blowing, and it's mm-hmm. it's really really sad. Well, it's two different sides of the spectrum. Sadly, we have so much abundance; they have so little. But honestly, like they live longer yeah. still, you know, like they're fasting, and when they do get food, it's 
it's incredible. Mm-hmm. It's cherished, you know? Exactly. But don't let diabetes or if you have some of these, you know, metabolic dysfunction issues going on, don't let that hold you back and start to apply these things. Give it time. Let it kind of become habit and and don't rely on medication. I think that's the biggest thing. Mm -hmm. You know, like it's so easy to prescribe statins and metformin and all these things. And that's what our healthcare system does. But studies are showing it doesn't work. Like Mm -hmm. we continually spend more money trying to fight these issues, but the rates are only going up. So it's logic. It's common sense, guys. Like it doesn't work. Yeah. It doesn't work. And so you have to think differently. You have to think outside the box. And the, the cure isn't in some drug by Pfizer. The cure is just getting up, moving more, taking a little bit more time between meals mm-hmm. and not eating excess carbohydrates. Or processed food. Processed yeah. foods, yeah. Mm-hmm. And the crazy thing too is what me and Nate talked about. So the two biggest causes of uh, metabolic dysfunction are from fructose and linoleic acid, linoleic acid from, yeah. from nuts and seeds. Mm-hmm. So fructose and vegetable oil are both plant sources mm. whereas meat has been demonized yeah you know so people are like oh don't eat meat meat is bad meat does this it's like actually it's it's plant-based sources that are causing these issues mm-hmm. and so we're not saying don't eat plants but realize that fructose and vegetable oils are the main cause of this epidemic yeah and so just keep keep learning keep digging through the the science and just take what we're giving you guys you know and just slowly start to apply it it doesn't have to be overnight but these simple things can change your life yep so and we'll uh in the show notes we'll try and add some of these studies and maybe some more resources on what to do Mm -hmm, what to do and again reach out to us yeah comment to us we have a lot of experience with this we've applied it to ourselves i've been checking my blood sugar and like what really got me into looking at this was when my blood sugar was pre-diabetic levels it was mm. crazy i was on doing a plant-based thing and seeing my numbers that high were just mind-boggling so it's it's it can get any of us and it's completely reversible and it's it's not too hard just give it time and focus on the basics mm-hmm. well stay healthy guys yeah eat some good food go for a walk definitely we'll talk soon yeah get out in the sun later